Hello. We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christlikeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 14. As we begin our time together in the Word. We've walked through the book of Romans this year. We are now... Almost to the end, chapter 14, the Apostle Paul has explained a lot of very rich doctrinal truth to us throughout this book. We get to chapter 12, and he kind of transitions now to the application of that rich doctrine that we found in the first 12 chapters. And so I want us to look now as we've kind of been talking about the relationships, what does it look like to be people who have been transformed by the power of the gospel, what does it look like for us to live out this life of Christianity? So what does it look like for us to actually sacrifice our lives, as it were, as he says in chapter 12, uh, before the Lord? How does that look as we begin to work it out in our relationships? And especially, Paul's been focusing on the relationships that we have with one another in the church. And so we come to chapter 14, and this is what he says. We're going to read verses 1 down to verse 12 and then look at that together. He says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while the other esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to God, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray together. God, as we look at this text this morning, we pray that you would give us open ears to hear your word. We pray, Father, that as you equip us through this word this morning, that we would be changed, that our hearts would be more gracious toward uh, our brothers and sisters, and Lord, that we would be more tuned to follow after you, to be more focused, more energetic, 
more passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. So we look at this text here this morning together, and the question I just want to begin with is, do Christians always have to agree on everything? Do we always have to agree on everything? I mean, sometimes it's very easy for us to make snap judgment calls. I remember uh, years ago, my, uh, my brother and my father, they went skiing for the very first time. Neither of them had been skiing before, and, uh, and so they took along a couple of people from their church, and uh, one of the gentlemen that went with them, because they were all really bad at skiing, most of them, they spent most of their time on the snow as opposed to on their skis. And so uh, one of the things that this man was sharing with them as they were kind of going home and he was just kind of complaining, you know, and he's like, you know, you know, all those Pentecostal women, you know, and they're like, yeah, like there was a Pentecostal group there um, wearing the long dresses, long hair and so on and so forth. He said, they're cheaters. And they were like, what are you talking about? You know, are they cheating with their skis? They have bigger skis? Like, come on, what do they mean? And he said, no, they're cheating. He's like, I spent so much time on the ground, I could see their ankles and they're all wearing pants under their dresses. That's ridiculous. There's a sense of judgment about that, as though he wanted to wear a dress or something like that. It doesn't make any sense. But all of us have this unusual tendency to kind of look down our nose at other people, to judge other Christians based upon our perception or based upon our opinions. We don't want to be casual Christians, so we want to be passionate about what we think and what we believe, right? We don't want to just be casually walking through this life of Christianity, and whatever people want to do, that's fine, no problem. We want to have convictions, uh, but we, we don't want to be Christians that, that simply, as the Old Testament says, do whatever's right in our own eyes, right? So we want to calibrate our desires, calibrate our, our behaviors based upon what the Bible teaches us. And the, 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 but the basis for our judgment cannot simply be our own opinions. They cannot simply be our own preferences, but they have to be rooted in what the Bible teaches regarding particular issues. Some things that we come into uh, encounter in life and especially in the life of the church um, really boil down to conscience, really boil down to personal preference. And so when we come to those issues, we have to be gracious with one another. We have to be merciful with one another. We have to be kind with one another because there will be moments where we disagree. We have to realize that that's okay in these secondary, even third-tier kinds of issues. The Bible assigns conscience as as an important piece in the life of a Christian. The Holy Spirit often works through the conscience, the Scripture says, but this doesn't mean that our conscience is infallible. And so we can't get to the point where we're relying so much on our conscience that our conscience is actually going against what we see found in the text. Because uh, oftentimes some people have seared their consciences and, and can no longer distinguish between right and wrong. The scripture tells us this in Romans chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, others, like, to, uh, like those who uh, we look in the text here and we see in, in Romans chapter 14, they, they're suffering from something different. It's a weak conscience. And then so they feel guilty over things, behaviors, actions, ideas that aren't inherently sinful, but that seem to be going against their own conscience. And so as Christians this morning, we want to stop judging one another, not in the sense that people use that verse out of context from Jesus, judging one another. We don't want to stop being a church that is holy and pure and, and looking at 
one another and keeping each other accountable, uh, that's not the kind of judgment he's talking about that's that's a judgment of sin and issues of sin. He's talking about issues of opinion, issues of disagreement. So we don't want to judge one another based upon our opinions, especially in regards to those non-essential pieces. But we want to live as believers in harmony with one another. So as we think about this text, just a little bit of the background, Paul, after he's transitioned in chapter 12, as I spoke just a moment ago, he's been describing how we as Christians should completely give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ought to offer up our bodies, as he says, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And all of this is in a response. So everything that he's spoken to us about up until chapter 12, he's explained to us the riches of what Christ has done, that he's given his own life, that we might have freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from Satan, and he's, and he's saying now, as this response to the mercy of God, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And so Paul, in these next sections, has been focusing particularly on the relationships that we have with one another within the church. And he's also been focusing on the relationship that we have with God himself. Now, remember what we've covered. Remember what Paul has been talking about in these doctrinal sections. Before Christ Jesus saved us, We were separated from God. We didn't know God. We were alienated from God. We were alienated from knowing God. We were alienated from the promises that were uh, given by God. And and also, we were at odds with one another. There is a a disharmony between human beings because of sin and evil in the world. But now, what we find is that through Jesus Christ, there has been real reconciliation. And the reconciliation goes vertical as well as horizontal. The reconciliation that we have because of what Christ did at the cross, as he took upon himself our sins, as he he shed his own blood, sacrificed himself, taking on the punishment of God for our sins, when we trust in what Jesus did for us, being that one who stood in our place, as it were, now we have reconciliation with God. So there is a, a restoration of the relationship that we had with God. There was a separation, but now we've been brought close to God. So there is this vertical restoration, but then also he says that there is a horizontal restoration. That's what we see happening in the church. So no longer do we have to be separated from our sin between each other. No longer do we have to live in in ways that are disharmonious. We can live now in complete unity and joy and happiness because of what Christ has done at the cross. Now... In this section, chapters 14 and 15, roughly, Paul tells us that this love that we have for one another is to be given to those, even with those people that we might disagree with about secondary issues in the church. This is the context of this passage where Paul is talking about the weak and the strong Christians. Now, apparently, in the Roman church, there were people who were uncertain about the freedoms that we've, been re- we've received in Christ. So there were were Gentile Christians, Greek Christians, Roman Christians. There were also Jewish Christians. And there was a disagreement about what it meant to be living in the freedom that Christ gives to us as a result of the gospel. And so this gave rise to some believers feeling a, a sense of superiority over other believers. And it also made another group feel like they were, they were able then to stand in and condemn the believers that were doing the things that they thought they shouldn't be doing. Now... If we're honest, 
the same problems continue to persist in every church, right? Some believe these things shouldn't be done. Other people believe that these things should be done. And as a result, even when things aren't said, people begin to kind of look down their nose at the other people. Or people begin to question whether or not that person even knows Jesus because they're doing this or they're saying this. And so we have this continual problem of superiority within the church. Now, it's pretty obvious when we look at this text, and especially when we begin to look at the, the, the church at Rome and all the things that Paul has been talking about, that this issue is happening probably between Jews and Gentiles. And so Paul is, is tackling this issue once again because it's very important because the gospel that saves the Gentiles is the same gospel that saves the Jews. And so it's very important for us to understand how these relationships should work. The relationships that we have with one another in the church should not be characterized by deceit or gossip or envy or pride, but rather they should be characterized by love and humility. That's what we find here in this passage. So in spite of our differences, whether it's the strong or the weak, we are to accept one another as fully Christian brothers and sisters in the church. Now, when you think back about the Old Testament, uh, we have to remember the Jewish people, kind of their own story, right? You think back in the Old Testament, the Israelites were given by God specific instructions about food laws, about special days, and God gave the Israelites rules. He gave them rules about things that they could eat and things that they could not eat. He gave them rules that, that were supposed to set them apart from the people that were around them to make them holy unto him. And the same is true of the days. He, he, he told them that they needed to observe both one day off a week, which was called the Sabbath. They were to, uh, they were to acknowledge the Sabbath, not work, but then they were also to, they were required to, uh, to, to celebrate on particular days for certain feasts. And all of this was to commemorate the reality that God had saved them, that he delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. Now these commands and these rituals became kind of like a, an external mark uh, that showed the difference between the Jewish people and all the other peoples of the world. It was, it was their signifier. These were the things that made them different as opposed to these other people. So they worshipped one God that they couldn't see and they did all of these things. And these people, they worshipped all kinds of gods, uh, and some of them they thought that they could see, and they did all of these other kinds of things. And so it was kind of a, a difference between the Jewish people and then the people of the nations. Now, you think about the story, just kind of one little small little narrative, you think about the story of Daniel. This is a perfect example of how important these, uh, these issues were for the Jewish people. So the, 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 some of the, the, the Israelites were taken off into exile, Daniel being one of them, and his friends and they get to Babylon, and then they're required to eat from the king's table, which probably means that there's going to be lots of meat and probably lots of pork, which was against uh, Jewish law. And not only that, but it was probably sacrificed to Marduk and other gods before it was actually put on the king's table in order for it to be blessed. Right? So what Daniel is saying is, I cannot eat from these kinds of things because of the law of the Lord. And so he asked that he might just eat of the vegetables. And so... We see him making a distinction between himself and that of the Babylonians. And we find that here in the Old Testament and Daniel. But now, as Christians, we've kind of come through to a different segment of time, haven't we? We've, we've experienced now a new covenant. In fact, when Jesus is speaking in the Gospels in Mark chapter 7, he explains to us that the heart of the law was focused on the heart, but the, but the behavior was really what the Jewish people picked up on. 
He said that the real issue is not the stuff that you eat doesn't make you unclean before God, but it's what's inside your heart that comes out. That is actually what makes you unclean. So it's, it's actually not the food or the shellfish if you decide to eat it, or if you like shrimp, that doesn't make you unclean before the Lord, right? But it's the sin that's already in your heart that continues to persist. That's what makes you unclean before the Lord. And this, this is what Jesus says in Mark chapter seven. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? He goes on in verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. So the issue is not what's taken in, but what's actually actually eking out of your soul. That's the problem that you face in your life. And then Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 3 that he is actually the Lord of the Sabbath. We see him healing the, the hand of a, uh, a man's hand that's shriveled on the Sabbath, Sabbath day. And he is shown to be the, the one who is in control of all things and who is Lord over the Sabbath. So I want us to think, as we look at Romans chapter 14 this morning, I want us to think together about three very important principles in regard to the way that we relate to one another within the church. Uh, the first is we must be careful not to judge one another based upon our own opinions. We cannot judge one another based upon our own opinions. Next, we must live for the glory of Christ. And then finally, we must live in such a way that we have the right perspective, that we, that we live in such a way that we are reminded of the judgment of God that is coming, that all of us will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and all of us will give an account. And as a result, hopefully, we will be more humble people in the way that we operate, the way that we treat one another. So let's look at the, the first of these. Do not judge others who belong to God. Look at what he says in verse one. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. That sounds horrible to me, but we'll continue on. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before your master that he stands, or his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, it's pretty clear that as we look at this passage, uh, the, uh, the problems here are arising from the Jews and the Gentiles, and especially in regards to the food problems, the food regulations in the special days. Now, those who Paul says are weak were probably the Jewish Christians, and, and who, their, their background called them to struggle over uh, all of these restrictions, all of the rituals, uh, and they were having a difficulty understanding how they could be free from those things and still be following God and still trust in the gospel. How, how could they do all of these things together? Now, these Jewish Christians uh, were not people who were, who were their, their salvation wasn't at, at a threat uh, at this point. They, they, weren't, they weren't even morally weak people doing whatever they wanted to according to the flesh. That, that wasn't the problem, but it was a weakness of conscience. They really felt compelled like these things still needed to be a part of their life. Um, and as they looked out at those Gentiles who were not doing what the Torah said, then they began to struggle, thinking maybe they weren't following Jesus in the way that they should be following Jesus. They were holding their opinion too high about these issues, and they were holding it over their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, it seems obvious that they weren't insisting that religious observance or eating the right kinds of foods or, or performing these religious festivals and days, 
they, they weren't tying this to salvation. Otherwise, I think we would see Paul coming down a little bit stronger on this. He would, he would say something that he, he said to the, uh, the Galatian church when he began to call out the Judaizers who were trying to connect the law and obedience to the law with the gospel and saying that in order to be saved, you not only had to trust Jesus, but you also had to do these things. And so Paul doesn't point out to that. So it doesn't seem as though they're tying it to salvation, but they're really just struggling over the fact that they feel like in order to live a holy life, these are things that they need to be a part of and to do in their lives. Now, I want us to think about this. We as Christians, we must not value our opinions over the value that we place upon our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this is hard. Now, if you don't want your toes stepped on, just kind of pull them under your pew for a second, right? I found this list, I want to share it with you because I think it was really helpful, a list, 10 reasons why you're not all that you think you are. Or I would say 10 reasons why you're not all that and a bag of potato chips, but that's just the way I say it. It's a really helpful list. And I think especially in regards to our like political climate, I don't know if you, anybody's ever on Facebook, but it's nauseating at this point to be on Facebook, right? Because everybody's got an opinion and everybody's right. And um, it, it can be, yes. Okay, so the first one. If you unfriend, this is not like the top 10 from David Letterman. This is a little different. The unfriend, if you unfriend people who don't agree with you, you, you might be a redneck. No, you might be... You might be uh, thinking too highly of your opinion. If you gossip behind other people's backs. If you inflate your own accomplishments, not just on your resume, but if you kind of build things up that you say or you've done. You never want to show your vulnerable side. It seems like the opposite, doesn't it? But actually, the problem is still that you're hiding yourself. You can't take constructive criticism because you think all the things you do are right. I've known people that have never apologized to the people that they love. You think way too highly of yourself. You think you're an exception to all the rules. Oh, those, that, that, being in a relationship with someone like that just drives you nuts. It, it breeds this victimization kind of, kind of a personality, just really frustrating. You're not willing to do the work that really is needed to accomplish your goals. So you've got these big ideas, these big goals, but you're not actually willing to do the hard work to actually accomplish them. You're afraid to take risks. Why? Because you don't want to look like a fool. Because you think too highly of yourself. You hide behind fake profiles and fake relationships. And then finally, you don't take responsibility for your actions. Now, I would say probably all of us are not guilty of all of those. But I would say that all of us hit a couple of right? And the problem is we think too highly of ourselves. We think too highly of our opinions. And this is probably one of the most difficult things that all of us struggle with as Christians. It's so easy to think really highly of your own opinion at the expense of other people's feelings. It's easy to do that. And Paul is speaking here very clearly about those, those secondary issues that we face in the church, those issues of opinion in regards to this judgment. He's not talking about issues of sin, especially as it relates to church discipline. So that's what I said just a moment ago. He's not, he's not speaking about issues of sin and that we should not judge as a church, that we should not keep one another accountable according to our church covenant that's based upon the scriptures, but rather he's talking about issues that there can be room for disagreement, that there can be flexibility in, 
Those are the issues that he's talking about. He's talking about issues of opinion. Because like, for instance, it doesn't really matter if you're a, if you're a, a pre-trib, pre-millennial dispensationalist, or if you're a post-millennialist, or if you're an amillennialist, or if you're a pan-millennialist, and you think that everything's just going to pan out in the end anyway, so what's the, what's the difference, right? Everybody's like, what? <laughs> Who cares? I mean, those things are not gospel issues, right? Those things are not like justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Those things are not like the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's room for debate. There's room for flexibility. There can be discussion, and there can be disagreement, and yet unity on issues like that. Maybe you want to go look those things up before you just agree with me, but it's talking about third-tier kinds of issues. I'm going to say third-tier. I'm going to talk a little bit. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, gives an explanation about the various levels of theological commitment by by kind of likening it to theological triage. So if you were to go to the ER and you sprang your, un- your uncle, your ankle, don't sprang your uncle, that's terrible. You hurt yourself and then somebody comes in and they had a gunshot wound. Like you shouldn't think, well, I was here first, you know, I, I should get to go ahead of the guy with the gunshot wound, right? Because there's a triage. There's, that's what the whole, that triage nurse does. She's saying, well, he's bleeding out, you can be in pain, that's fine. Right? So there's, the, there's a prioritization here. Well, what he says is in theological terms, there's priorities as well. So the first tier that he says represents first order doctrine. So the fundamentals of the faith, what it means to really be a follower of Jesus, right? So the Trinity is a fundamental doctrine. It's a priority. So we have to agree on that. The, the deity of Christ, the atonement, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, justification by faith alone in Christ alone. All of these are necessary for salvation. So in order to be a brother and a sister in Christ, those things we have to agree upon. Second tier issues represent doctrines uh, that are those that are essential to church life, but that do not necessarily define the gospel. So we can be brothers and sisters, but we may not go to the same church together. Um, and and we, sometimes we can have disagreements about these and still have unity within the church. One, one of these issues that that uh, oftentimes we'll have people in the same church together is Calvinists versus Arminians, right? There can be wide variety and spectrum of difference of opinion on those issues, but then we can have some unity there as well. Uh, we think about issues of roles of men and women within the church. We think about issues of baptism. Oftentimes that's one that kind of separates us from different denominations. Or, or speaking in tongues. Again, that's another one. These are second-tier issues. Sometimes there can be unity that's maintained within one local congregation, but sometimes it it separates us into different local congregations. A third tier would be those issues that there can be fruitful discussion about and even change or even disagreement. So we think of issues like the return of Christ or issues of the use of alcohol or or liturgy or all of these different kinds of things like this. this. These can be things that we disagree on and yet still remain united in one local church. The word that Paul is using here to translate accept means to welcome one's fellowship into one's heart. So there's a deep connection here. Paul wants the weak in faith to experience Christian love and a love that is unconditional, a love that is unhindered by people's reservations because they have opinions. He wants them to experience this deep abiding fellowship. Passing judgment will exclude 
these Jewish Christians and will mar marginalize them. And friends, that's not the way the church is supposed to be. That's not the way that we're supposed to be. That's not the way that these Christians were supposed to be. Instead, we were supposed to be living in a sense of harmony with one another. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, maybe Paul's just telling us to be tolerant. And if that's the case, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, Paul's not talking about the modern idea of tolerance, where basically everybody can believe what they want, and if you believe what you want and you're sincere about what you believe, then everybody has to be happy with it. That's not at all what Paul is saying. Instead, what he's talking about is that we should treat one another, especially the weak, as equal members of God's family without, without majoring on the minors, without allowing the minor issues, the secondary issues, to be the things that damage our fellowship and our, and our love for one another. So We can't allow our opinions to become more valuable to us than our brothers and sisters. Now, secondly... Another point I want to make here in this, in this section. Do not pass judgment upon those whom God has saved. You hear that? Don't pass judgment upon those whom God has saved. The, the major problem here in this text, in chapter 14, seems to be the, the strong treatment of the weak. So they're looking at the weak and they're saying, my goodness, you know, everything, everything we want to do, they have a problem with it. You know, we wanted to change the carpet color in our church, and they just had a problem with gray carpet. They wanted red carpet. Or the bulbs were too bright, or the, the air conditioning was too strong. And, you know, there's just issues and frustration. That, Paul's saying the, the strong need to be patient with the weak that are struggling. But then it also seems like the friction goes both ways, doesn't it? The strong consider the weak to be inferior, but the weak seem to be accusing the strong of kind of a lackadaisical attitude in regards to holiness, and to, in regards to godliness. And friends, both perspectives are wrong. They trample over the truth of the gospel. The gospel teaches us that none of us is better than the other, because all of us, we are all at one time rebels, alienated, alienated from the promises of God, all of us were in desperate need of a Savior, one to redeem us and make us new. And if God has welcomed us into his family, who in the world do you think you are to look down your nose at your brother and sister based upon your opinion? Who are you? Friends, we sometimes feel the opposite of the way that we should, but we're called upon by God to hold one another higher in our estimation, then we hold ourselves, to love one another more than we love ourselves. Why is that true? Well, because your brothers and your sisters belong to God. That's why that's true. If we look down at one another and, uh, and, and we think somehow that we're superior and that they're inferior, what we're saying is that we're standing in a place of authority over that person. If we do that, we forget that our brother and sister is actually not responsible to us, but responsible to, to God. We put ourselves in God's place. God, when he looks at the church, when he looks at your life, when he looks at my life, God is able to make the weak stand when he wants them to stand. God is able to help the weak. God is able to help the perceived strong. And friends, it's not our place to judge another Christian's relationship with God like the Roman Christians were doing. We cannot hold our opinions so tightly and so highly that we hold them over our brothers and sisters. We can't value our ideas more than we value the family of God. So we must not judge one another inside the church based upon opinion. 
but instead we ought to love one another. We ought to be gracious with one another. Now, secondly, we, we want to live our lives honoring God with every moment of every day. We must live for the glory of God. As Paul says, live to the glory of God. In this next section of verses, Paul explains the gravity of our situation. He wants us to understand that the reality is we will all be judged by the way that we live, by the Lord, and this ought to enable a sense of humility in our lives. If we realize that as we walk through this life, we're making mistakes, our friends, our brothers and sisters are making mistakes, we ought to be gracious with one another, we ought to, we ought to bear one another's burdens and carry one another's loads as we walk down this journey toward, uh, toward the kingdom of God. We have to be careful with one another. Look at this, this section again, verse five. He says, one person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. So do everything as if you were doing it for the Lord. So the days that Paul mentions are, are probably these Jewish festivals or even maybe the Sabbath day. And on the secondary issues, we might say it, it doesn't really matter what you believe so much as that you, it matters to you what you believe. So believe it. If you're going to be having a conscience about something, don't go against your conscience or don't have a weak conscience. But if you believe something and it's a secondary issue, it doesn't mean that you have to legalize it and make other people do it. But if you strongly believe that these things should be about your life, then do them. Do them with all of your might. Don't force other people to do them with all of their might and think somehow if they don't that they're ungodly, but obey your conscience. If you have a problem watching certain kinds of movies or certain ratings, past certain ratings, don't watch them. Don't go against your conscience. If you have a problem with alcohol and, and, and consuming alcohol, don't do it. But friends, don't hold those in the church to your own standard when it's not a scriptural, when it's not a biblical uh, issue that we find right there in the text. Be very careful about that. But live in such a way that you're honoring the Lord, obeying your own conscience. Live with the glory of God in mind. Now, Nathan Schaefer, a pastor in Pennsylvania, he said these words. I just want to make mention of them. He says, at the close of life, the question will not be how much have you got, but how much have you given not how much you have won, but how much you have done. Not how much you have saved, but how much have you sacrificed. How much have you loved and served, not how much you were honored. Why? Why are these things true? It's because the Lord, Jesus Christ, is Lord over all things. That's why. So when Paul tells us to do everything as to the Lord, it's a very deep issue at stake here, and that is that all of us, in all of our weakness or perceived strength, all of us belong to the Lord. And he is the master to whom we will all answer to. So lastly here, Paul reminds us that we ought not to judge because God is the one who will judge us all. Look at verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to himself, to God. So here we find in verse 10, same as in verse four, Paul challenges the Christians who are accusing their fellow believers, whether they're weak or strong, he challenges them in light of that judgment day, in light of that last day. And so all of our silly squabbling or our resentment toward one another, all of those small secondary issues are shown to be insignificant in comparison to that final day, in comparison to the judgment seat of Christ. Friends, it's very easy to become so enamored by our own ideas, our own opinions, that we champion those things over the people that we're supposed to love. Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Remember this morning that each and every one of us will stand before Christ and we will give an account of our lives. And you don't have to give the account for your neighbor's life. You don't have to give the account for your spouse's life. You don't even have to give the account for your children's life or your coworker's life. You have to give an account for your life. So what Paul is saying is pay attention to yourself. Don't argue about these issues of opinion so much that you look down your nose at the people that are right next to you that you're called to love. Focus upon yourself. Focus upon loving one another, being gracious to one another. Whether you're weak in conscience or strong in conscience, be gracious and be gracious for the sake of the unity of the church. and Be gracious with one another for the sake of the gospel going to the nations. For that is what we're about. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word today. I pray that you would help us as your people that we might respond with humility, Lord, that we might respond in a way that is gracious as we think about the things that maybe we disagree with one another about. Lord, help us to be charitable. Help us to be loving. Help us to be respectful and kind, that we might bear one another's burdens as we walk on this journey. Um, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come. and We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.